When people get bored in college, bad things can happen. <laughs> I was walking back one night. I just paused as I looked down the hallway. And there were a couple people just flinging this Frisbee back and forth. And I've never been able to throw a Frisbee. I, I've never. I've tried Frisbees. I've tried boomerangs. I know some people are like, let's go frolfing. That's like a horrible afternoon for me, Frisbee golf. Like, because, spoiler alert, I'm getting over 12 on every little hole. And I just, whatever. I, I've just never been able to throw a Frisbee well. So I just kind of, I'm like, well, that's not my thing. And that's a little strange, but whatever. And uh, I went upstairs and began watching Seinfeld, uh, because as, as great as a show as, as Friends is, and, and as great as some shows that have come since I was in college, like How I Met Your Mother and The Office, uh, there is no better sitcom than Seinfeld, and I will, I will defend that to my death. And so I started an episode of Seinfeld, and all of a sudden, the fire alarms went off. And there's just a, there's just a feeling of invincibility that everybody has at that age, and I just said, I'm not leaving. Like, there's not going to be a fire big enough to burn down this old dorm. And this is a really good episode of Seinfeld. So I just talked to my roommate. I'm like, it's cold outside. We're good. Let's just stay. And he's like, you think? I'm like, yeah, we're fine. He's like, okay. So we just stayed. And, and then the RAs start coming down the halls with the resident directors, letting everybody know you got to evacuate. This isn't a drill. You got to evacuate. And we're annoyed. And so we get up, and we head downstairs, and we just hear water pouring, because one of the Frisbee throwers clipped the sprinkler system with the Frisbee, knocking it completely off, and just hundreds of gallons of water are flooding the hallway, to which I just start laughing hysterically, because... Well, it's funny if you're not the one who caused the damage and you're not the one whose room's right there getting flooded. And so we just start laughing, and we knew one of the guys who was involved in the incident, we'll call it. A couple days later, uh, we found out that the cleanup costs were over $25,000 as a result of that. Uh, so then it's just like, I'm really glad I wasn't part of that incident and uh, was upstairs watching Seinfeld. But I just, I, I remember as I, was, as I was thinking about that story, talking with some friends from college this week, I remember obviously the sprinkler system just pouring out the water. I remember being annoyed that we had to stop our episode of Seinfeld to go outside and freeze for a couple minutes for the fire department to come and realize there's just two idiots who were playing Frisbee in the hallway who clipped the sprinkler system and there's not an actual fire in order for us to be allowed to go back inside to be warm and to finish our episode of Seinfeld. And I also remember how the, the RAs and the resident director were coming down the hallway just telling everybody, don't be alarmed, you just have to go outside. And they just kept repeating it over and over. Don't be alarmed. This isn't a drill, but you have to evacuate the building. And this morning, as we continue our look at 2 Thessalonians, essentially what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica is, don't be alarmed. This isn't a drill, but you're all right. Don't be alarmed. This isn't a drill, but you're all right. 
And it's a message that we've seen him say time and time again as he wrote his letters to the church in Thessalonica. As they were experiencing literally hell on earth, they were going through a really tough patch in their lives. And especially for people who just made the decision to follow Jesus, they weren't sure what that was all about and so they had all these questions, and he's, he's gone through answering these questions, and he just picks up there with just another reminder and another disclaimer, you're all right. And we find those words in 2 Thessalonians 2, where we'll be today. If you have your phones or your tablets, we'd invite you to follow along with us on the Bible app, where we read these words starting in verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers... Not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. So this is how he starts this chapter of 2 Thessalonians, and this is the fifth time. This is the fifth time in his two letters to the church in Thessalonica that Paul has brought up the return of Jesus. It's the fifth time he's brought up the return of Jesus, which tells us something. It tells us that when life is chaotic, we must focus on the hope of Jesus. When life is chaotic, we must focus on the hope that we have, and that hope is found through our relationship with Jesus. And what's he want them as a result to do? As a result of, of the fact that they have hope in Jesus, how does he want them to live? He wants them to live not shaken or alarmed. And so he keeps talking about it. Now, anybody who's been a parent realizes what you sign up for when you become a parent is a lot of, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of cleaning, and a lot of repeating yourself. Like, that's just what you sign up for when you're a parent. And nobody tells you that from the outset, but you find out really quickly. What you just signed up for is a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of cleaning, and a lot of repeating yourself. And sometimes when you repeat yourself, you're really annoyed that you have to. My, my son has an amazing ability an amazing ability to recall sports scores and, and statistics. We, we could make a comment, and we talked to him about this this week. We could make a comment, like on Thursday of this week, we can make a comment. On October 17th of 2023, we'll take you to Taco Bell. I guarantee you, on October, whatever date I said, of 2023, he's going to wake up that morning and be like, hey, we're going to Taco Bell today. Because you promised me three years ago we'd go to Taco Bell. Uncanny ability to remember that. I get home from work. I'm like, hey, bud, you finish your homework? I don't really know if I have any homework. Like, what? I, I can't remember. I'm like, what would you do at school today? I don't, I don't really remember. Did you clean up your room? Oh, I forgot. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing. The kid can recall sports scores from five years ago, and he will bring up the fact that I said we'd go to Taco Bell in three years, but he can't remember if he has homework from a class that ended an hour ago. It makes no sense. And as a parent, it's just infuriating to have to repeat yourself over and over again. I guarantee anybody who's been a parent, you have not had, you have not had the luxury of telling your kid to clean their room one time and having it done. I mean, maybe you get to that point, but unless you, unless you were Mary raising Jesus, you had to tell your kids more than once to clean their rooms. And you just have to say it over. As a parent, that gets infuriating. But there are other times you repeat yourself that you have an entirely different emotion. When you tell them you love them. When they're scared at night and you remind them 
You don't have to be scared of the dark. There's nothing under your bed. The little blanket that you lay on top of you may feel may make you think you're secure, but it's not going to protect you from anything. But don't worry about it because there's nothing to worry about. You repeat yourself. And in those instances, you want to reassure them. You want to help them. And that's what the Apostle Paul's doing here, where he writes them again because he understands what they're going through. He understands what they're experiencing in their lives, and he wants them to understand the hope that they have in Jesus is what they can cling to. And there's confusion because of what they're going through, because of what they're living through. There's confusion because of what they're experiencing because they're thinking this is the darkest that this world could ever be. These are the darkest days that this world could ever offer. And, and so we, we go back just to the day of the Lord judgment that we talked about a lot in 1 Thessalonians 5 that Paul told them they would not be subject to. They would not be subject to the darkest days that this world had to offer. And so they didn't have to lose heart. And the thing that we can take from this and the thing that we can be encouraged by is this, that in all the craziness... And all the craziness of this world and all the craziness of this year, let's make sure as people who follow Jesus that we don't allow our faith to be shaken, that we don't allow our confidence in who we are as God's children to, to, to be questioned by us. Let's just be resolved to understand that we are secure. Not because of what we've done, not because of what we've accomplished, not because of what we've amassed, but because God's got us. And it doesn't matter what this world throws our way. It's not our destiny. And so we can have hope. It was interesting this week, Gallup, a, a surveying firm, released a study. And it showed that the only group, the only group this year that showed improvement in their mental health, the only group that showed improvement in their mental health in 2020 was weekly churchgoers. I find that fascinating. And I am convinced that the crazier that this world gets, it's an invitation for all of us who follow Jesus to be reminded that this world isn't our home and that we have nothing to fear. And the, the more that we see the craziness, the more we cling to the truth. And the more we cling to the truth, we can rest in the promise that God would have us rest in anyway. And that He is greater. And He is good. And He has promised us He would not leave us and He would not forsake us. And we find our hope in Him. He continues, For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness has revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? It says, God won't unleash his full judgment on this world until the Antichrist comes and claims to be God and demands to be worshipped. And I know right now what you're thinking is, who's the Antichrist? And I'm going to tell you, I don't know. I don't know. And nobody, nobody else does either. What I do know is that every, every president in my lifetime has been called the Antichrist by somebody. <laughs> like somebody's called every president of my lifetime the Antichrist. And I don't know if that goes back like 
since the foundation of the United States or not, but I just know since I've been alive, like literally every president uh, has been called the Antichrist. And so far, none of those predictions have turned out to be true. So I don't, I don't know who the Antichrist is going to be, but what I do know is it, it's not going to be a promising situation. But even then, as, as people who follow Jesus, just remember this, God wins in the end. And this world is going to experience some horrible days and the full judgment of God is going to come upon it. But as people who follow Jesus, we don't have to worry about that. And he goes on and he says, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. God is actively restraining the ultimate embodiment of evil. And that's fascinating to me. When we look around and we see the state in the world, we see everything that's going on, to think it's going to get worse. It is. And that doesn't make me a pessimist. It makes me a realist who's read the book and we're given a glimpse onto how things end. Spoiler alert. This isn't as bad as it gets. It gets worse. And that's not a message of hopelessness just the opposite. It's a message of hope. Because as it gets worse, and it will, it'll get a lot of worse. In the end, everything's restored and everything's made right. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Now, this sounds like an amazing action movie. This sounds great. Like, this is, you want to load up your brand new TV. You want to make sure the internet's firing on all cylinders because you want to stream this bad boy in 4K. Like, this sounds like an amazing, an amazing action movie that there is going to be destruction and Jesus is killing him with the breath of his mouth. And some of you are like, well, I mean, really, that's not that impressive because people have all already almost killed me with their breath. But, you know, I mean, but just think, I mean, I don't know exactly how God's going to do this, but either Jesus is like a fire-breathing dragon or, or something, but it's going to be incredible. It's going to be, it's going to be just absolutely amazing, amazing to witness. And God restrains the embodiment of evil, but he releases it. He releases that restraint and he releases it for it to be dealt with and destroyed once and for all. And the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. With all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be Saved, And again, we just realized the reality is this, that there is evil in this world. There is evil in this world. And God, because he's given us free will, is opposed by people in this world. God has given us free will. He's given us all the opportunity to choose. And as a result of that, some people have made the choice. And they've chosen to oppose God. And what we're told is those, those who reject God refuse to love the truth. Those who reject God refuse to love the truth. The truth. 
And, and we might scratch our heads at that because we're people who've made the decision to follow Jesus. And so we don't understand. Why would somebody reject the truth? Why would somebody reject this idea of hope and love and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and joy? Why would people make the choice to reject that? Why would people choose to believe the lie? And it's hard sometimes for us to put ourselves in that mindset. But we've all bought into the lie. We've all bought into the lie. Just think back to your last road trip. You're in the car, been going for hours. You need gas. You pull over, you get gas, you stretch your legs a little bit. You pray you don't have to use the restroom at a gas station. But you decide, eh, maybe I should go while we're stopped. You, you head inside and there you see it. There is the pack of combos that are as big as your face, and they have the pizza flavor, and it's just like game on. This is going to be great. I could use a little snack. I won't eat them all. I could use a little snack. They'll help me keep my energy up. You go and you grab the Mountain Dew. You head on, and you're like, mm, maybe I should get the diet because I got the king size, so you put the Mountain Dew back, get the diet. But then you decide, let's go up to the 32-ouncer. You grab it. You go up to the cashier. You pay for it. You get in your car. You're back on the road. You pop your headphones in if you have kids in the back seat. So you're in your own little world because traffic's going to annoy you enough. You're driving down the road. You crack open that pack of combos. You reach in. Your fingers get that glistening, because I don't even know what's in combos, but whatever it is, it's not as thick as Cheetos, but it's still the residues on there, but it's delicious. You start popping those bad boys, and you're like, I'll just eat a little bit of this. They'll make me feel great. Ten miles down the road, the pack is gone. They're just completely gone, and so is the Mountain Dew. And then you roll up the pack of combos, you pop it into the can or, or the bottle, you screw the, you, you screw the bottle back on. 30 minutes later, you feel miserable. Or, or, you decided, hey, you know what would be great? Snickers, because I'm a little, I'm a little full, but I'm not all the way full. And then you cram the Snickers down, and then an hour later, you're like, "Oh, I'm not really gonna eat dinner tonight. I'm good." And you feel horrible for the rest of the day. Why? Because you bought the lie. You bought the lie. How the snacks gonna? It's gonna fill me up. It's gonna, it's gonna make me feel good. But, but we know it doesn't. But there's just something about those pizza-filled pretzel things on the combos that you just can't say no to, even though you know hours later or minutes, depending on your age, you're going to regret it. You're going to regret it. But we buy into the lie because it looks and it tastes good. And that's the deal with sin. It looks good. And at first, it tastes good. And it's fun. And it makes us, it makes us feel alive. But it's the lie. And every single time, it leaves us feeling empty. 
It promises it will fill us. It promises it will keep us sustained. It promises us joy. And it delivers the opposite. But when we find ourselves in that place, and we haven't experienced the truth, we haven't experienced the hope of Jesus, all we know to do is to go back to that fleeting moment of satisfaction. But the more often we do that, the more jaded we become. And that's how people arrive at the place where they hate the truth. Because they've sought what they want and it's left them unfulfilled. But they don't know where else to go. And they don't know what else to do. And therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God delivers to these people positive reinforcements so they continue to go in the direction they've chosen. You ever, you ever been around an echoing chamber? A group that just continues to affirm and affirm and affirm the wrong choice after wrong choice after wrong choice. God's just delivered them up to their own delusion. But we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that's the hopeless world. That's, that's people who don't have the hope of Jesus. But for those who have the hope of Jesus, remember this. Remember that God is greater than anything this world can offer. God is greater than anything this world can offer. He says, God has saved you. And He's made you like Himself through the work of His Spirit in our lives. God is working in your life. He's saved you and He's not done. He wants to continue to make you more and more like Him. So then, brothers, stand firm. And hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. He says, choose to honor God. Choose to honor God with your life and live according to his plan. Choose to honor God with your life, and that's your choice. You have the choice. So choose to honor God with your life and live your life according to his plan. And then he writes this. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace 
Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And this is God's plan for us. That we would find comfort. Think about that. That we would find comfort. That we, would, that we would find hope and be people of grace. I, I hear people talk a, a lot around this time of year of how Christmas is their favorite season, how Christmas is the best time of the year. Interesting, nobody says that when they're actively putting out the Christmas decorations and putting up the Christmas tree. Like, nobody, nobody says that. But after that day's over, and after all the decorations are up, and after you're speaking to your spouse again after the small snafu with the Christmas tree, and the reason I know that is not because I stalk you, it's because I'm married and we have a Christmas tree. But the, the, after, you're, after you're talking to your spouse again after the snafu with the Christmas tree, and after you're reflecting, and all the lights are up, and the houses are decorated, it's everybody's favorite. See the joy that gifts can bring, to see the joy of being together. In many ways, it's the best that humanity has to offer on display. So much so that entire networks have, have made literally hundreds of movies that all have the same plot. And people pay $7 a month to subscribe to the movie network to watch their Christmas movies all year long. And every time, let me tell you what's going to happen. Every single time, spoiler alert, you don't have to watch the Hallmark Christmas movie. I'm telling you. He's going to make it back on Christmas Eve. The flights were canceled. He's still going to make it there. I know. I know you lost your husband and, or fiancé in a tragic accident and you are so broken that your heart will never learn to love again. But you will learn to love again. You will. And it's going to be around Christmas. I promise. Like, I just, there you go. I've, I've just saved you two hours. Whenever you want to sit down and watch a Hallmark Christmas movie, I just, I helped you, all right? There you go. You, can, you got the two hours of your life back. But people love it. They love the feeling. Why? Because you got your hot cocoa, which may or may not have something other marshmallows in it. No judgment here. You got your blanket. You got the Christmas tree lit up. You got comfort. You have hope. The season of giving and grace. You know what's fascinating? Because that's the life God's called us to. Not just a Christmas. But that as we 
people who made the decision to follow Jesus, who've experienced hope, could live every day. Finding our comfort in the fact that we have a relationship with our Creator. With a God who loves us and created us and designed us, who knows all of our days before we take our first breath. He knows when our last breath is going to be. Before He's called us to do anything, He's already factored in our stupidity because He already knows all the dumb choices we're going to make and still He chooses to love us anyways. who knows the hardship that we're going to face, who knows the heartbreak that we're going to experience, who knows all everything that's going to be thrown our way in this life, who knows it all before we take our first breath, and who invites us Not to find our significance, not to find our security, and not to find our satisfaction in anything this world has to offer. But instead, to find it in who we are as his children. And the reminder that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica is the reminder that I think we all need to hear right now. And when we boil it all down, it's this. God is in control. We are His children. And though the world is dark, And the times are hard. We have nothing to fear. So we can live lives full of comfort, full of hope, and full of grace. That make no sense to people who do not have a relationship with Jesus because they do not understand. But as people who have a relationship with Jesus, it's time for us to live like we do and find our security in Him. And that's a reminder to us Not from an annoyed God. Not from a father who's sick of telling us to clean up our room. It's a reminder from a parent who just wants to reassure us that the world in which we live is a dumpster fire. And it's going to get worse. But we, nothing to fear. God, I pray that we would be people who live 
and the truth. There is nothing for us to fear. Lord, that you would comfort our hearts. That you would remind us all the more Lord, we see a world that is broken and a world that needs you. And I pray all the more, God, that you would use us. That you would use us to spread the hope and the love and the peace that was available to us through a relationship with you, that we would spread that hope to a world that's desperately in need of it. That you would take off their blinders. And you'd help them see the truth. Use us, use Lakeside in that process, God, we pray. Help us. Help us be reminded. That we can live lives of comfort. That we can cling to hope. That we can rest in your grace. Because you are good. You've got us. Work in our hearts, in our lives, Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen.